Good morning, First Church. All right, one more time. Good morning, First Church. It is a delight to be with you all this morning. My name is Daniel Stidham. I'm the husband of Megan, the father of Nora and Micah, and I'm a follower of Jesus. And one of the ways I follow Jesus is I get to be the pastor at Calvary Church in Oak Lawn, a southwest suburb of Chicago. And right now, uh, P- Pastor John is now like leading 20 people to Christ at my church. It's actually a pulpit swap uh, where he's preaching at our congregation, which I'm so grateful for. It's a privilege to be with you all this morning. Welcome, uh, Hebron. Welcome, uh, Jail Campus. Welcome, everyone tuning in online. And if you're watching right now online, that means that you're not watching one of the cesspool of information from one of these networks, be it GE and NBC and uh, Universal Pictures, God forgive them, and News Corp, Fox News, Wall Street Journal. You know, the 90 plus percent of all of the things that we get on the news and on our media comes from these networks. Uh, Disney with ESPN and ABC. Did you know that when you watch a football game, you subliminally want to watch a Disney princess movie. It's like in their ads. It's a, it's a strategy. I know all your kids are all about that. You've got Viacom. Bless them. They're all dying. You know, Viacom with MTV. I hope they plummet. Uh, Time Warner, CNN, HBO. God is just bringing judgment on those things. Uh, and CBS, none of us really knows what CBS does anymore, except for, you know, pilfer regional sports. But here's what's cool. Um, we live in a day where you should be suspicious of all of these companies because they're not rooted in Christ. And we live in a day with deep suspicion where conspiracy theories are running rampant. And you want to know because these networks fill your feeds and fill your phones and fill your mind with outrage, crisis after crisis after crisis, because rage gets ratings. And if they can stir your rage, they'll get your eyes. They'll get you angry. But today, I'm wanting you to ask the question, if you can't trust these outlets, what authority will you trust? Who will you trust? That's why today I'm wearing a suit, so you'll trust me. I'm trying to tell Pastor John he's got to up his suit game because for some reason, When I wear a suit, people take me a little more seriously. I'm 33, but they think I'm 37. And Pastor John got his uh, less attractive doppelganger to preach for him today. And I'm just so grateful to be here. But you know, in 1995, the Harvard Business Review did an article. So this is nothing new. It says in the title of the article, why the news is not the truth. And this uh, journalist from the inside says that, he says this, that the news is just as geared to amuse you and divert you to amuse you and divert you as it is to inform you. And you want to know who I think they're trying to divert you from? I believe they're trying to divert you from Jesus, from trusting in his sufficiency. Who will you trust today? I pray that you'll actually see that in our, in our passage today, in Galatians chapter one, if you could turn with me there, if you have a Bible with you, I'll also have it on the screen. It's the same question that the people of Galatia were wrestling with. You know, in their ministry, they actually uh, became Christians through the discipleship of Paul. He would leave Antioch and go on this missionary journey. And I want you to just think about this really quick. Who led you to faith in Jesus Christ? Can you just picture that person with me? Think about that person. Hold them and cherish them in your heart and mind. Now imagine how that person would feel if they found out that someone slid into your DMs and started telling you, Christ isn't enough. 
What if they try to, people trying to tell you that gospel is insufficient. Christ is good, but you need more. Paul heard that some Jewish Christians had snuck into the Galatian church trying to tell them, hey, to become children of God, you got to get circumcised. You better eat kosher. You better take Sabbath on the right day. I know you old legalistic reform people know exactly what I'm talking about. Take it on the right day or you're going to be judged. And they were adding to faith alone in Christ. And Paul is saying, who are you going to trust? These Jewish Christians that don't even love you, are you going to trust me? Why should you trust Paul? Why should you trust me as a preacher? The answer is in our text today. In a day of suspicion, in a day of distrust, why should you trust anything I have to say? Galatians 1, 1 will answer that question. If you would turn with me there now. Paul, an apostle, not from man nor through man, but through Jesus Christ. And God, our Father, who raised him from the dead, and to all the brothers and sisters who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself up for you, to deliver us for our sins, to deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Some of you are wondering, how in the world is he going to preach for 24 more minutes on those five verses? But I ask you, trust me, there is far more in these verses than we realize. Trust me. So, I want first, in order to trust me, you're going to have to trust that I'm a, a messenger, a, a trustworthy messenger. And so I want you to trust the sufficiency of Christ's messenger. Who's his messenger? Why should you trust him? Well, that messenger is Paul, an apostle. Let me give you a little nerd nuggets on the word apostle. Apostle means sent, the sent ones. Apostle would have been the people who would have been given delegation. They would say, you know what? You can represent me. They've been given the authority to represent someone. Apostles are a lot like ambassadors in that way. They're the sent ones to represent the sender. Paul's saying, I've been sent. And I've had, there's tons of words of apostles. I'm giving you guys an extra nugget here. The people who were called apostles, there's a wider sense and a narrow sense. They're the people who had an experience with the risen bodily Jesus. And Paul is saying, I'm an apostle. I've met the bodily Jesus. And he says in that, I wasn't sent by man nor through man. In other words, the Jewish council didn't send me. The denomination didn't send me. Uh, the FBI didn't send me. Uh, the presidential seal didn't send me. The United Nations didn't send me. The CIA didn't send me. Paul is wanting to flex no earthly power. It's like mankind didn't send me. Jesus sent me. You might be like, all right, Daniel, why, why is that important? Galatians would have arguably be the first words ever written of the New Testament. It is arguably the oldest book in the New Testament. The very first words of our scriptures in the New Testament were these words, Paul, an apostle, not from man, but through Christ. Jesus, 
was killed, died on a cross and raised again. And everyone just thought he failed. But Paul, you know, at this point in time, the Trinity hadn't been developed. At this point in time, Paul is beginning this letter with a thunderclap from the heavens saying, Jesus was no mere man. He was no mere man. He is God. And Paul is living in that. He's living in that saying, man didn't send me, God sent me, Jesus sent me. So if you deviate from my message, you deviate from God. Trust me, he says, I've been sent by God. Trust me. He goes on to say, trust the messenger. Well, why? What, what does he highlight about the one who sent him? He gets into the most core fundamental truth of the gospel, which is that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. Amen? He's alive. Buddha, dead. Muhammad, dead. Everyone else, dead. Everyone in your life that, that doesn't have Jesus will die and perish, and that should break your heart. But Jesus is alive. Amen? And sometimes I wonder if as a pastor, I talk about Jesus as if he's not in the room. I wonder sometimes if I've convinced myself that I'm talking about someone coming in the major future or in the distant past. Jesus is in the room, Hebron. Jesus is in the room, jail campus. Jesus is in the room. He's alive and he wants to offer you something. He's alive to give you something. What does he have for you? What does he want you to receive? This message ultimately is grace. He wants you to receive grace and peace. Those sound like, oh, grace to you and peace. Those sound like introductory words. Grace is the most powerful thing on earth. It's more powerful than anything you could ever imagine. Let me show you an example. My daughter uh, is a fiery one. She's just like me and struggles with uh, loving hard and being really angry, like hating hard too. And one of the ways she's, she used to hit me all the time uh, when she didn't want to do something. Now she just kind of winds up and holds back. And then she hits me with her words. And most recently, she's come back to a phrase that she would say that would break my heart. She would say, daddy, I don't love you anymore. Anyone been told that before? Anyone felt that before? I don't love you anymore. And in that moment, I could say, go to your room. Don't talk to me like that, Nora. But the grace of God kneels down and gets at eye level with Nora and says, Nora, that hurts daddy when you say things that aren't true. And then I tell her what I tell her every night. Nora, I love you no matter how many good things you do. Nora, I love you no matter how many bad things you say to me. Nora, I love you more than anything, and there's nothing you can do to stop my love. And she's already slowed down. She doesn't want to look at me. And I say, Nora, look me in the eyes. She looks me in the eyes, and I say, Nora, I need you to apologize and make this right. And I say, Nora, you have to start with what Daniel Tiger says. Anyone Daniel Tiger fans in the room? Saying I'm sorry is the first step. You guys all need to get on Daniel Tiger right now. 
because it'll help you share the gospel with your children. Saying I'm sorry is the first step. And so and I have her look me in the eyes and say, Nora, look me in the eyes. Say sorry and say what you did. And she looks me in the eyes, keeps looking down, keeps looking down. And eventually it's like, Nora, see me, see me, see me. I'm sorry, daddy, for saying I don't love you. And then I add an additional thing to Daniel Tiger. I say, okay, Nora, what do you say after sorry? Because sorry isn't enough. You guys know the feeling if you've been hurt. Sorry is just a boop, all right, I'm sorry, period. It doesn't invite the hurt person into relationship. It throws it back on them or it just keeps it. I'm sorry, what do you want me to do? I've already said sorry. Sorry is not enough. And what Daniel Tiger misses is this need for this question where the grace of God comes in. The question that I need Nora to ask me is, will you forgive me? I need Nora to look me in the eyes and say, will you forgive me? And in that moment, there's nothing more that a father wants to do than to say, yes, I forgive you. And then saying, I'm sorry is the first step. And then you ask, how can I help? Okay, you'll get there saying, I'm sorry is the first step. Then how can I help? And then I ask her for the holy trinity of kisses. I need a kiss here. I need a kiss here. And I need a kiss here. And so she gives me the triangle of kisses. And then I ask her, Nora, will you never tell me that again? Will you try not to tell your daddy lies? And she goes, yes, daddy. And we always have an embrace. We always have a hug. And in that moment, she will obey anything because it's coming from love. She is finally in that moment at peace. That when I give her grace, what follows that is the power of peace. What transforms her heart is the peace that comes from the grace of God. And some of us are looking for peace from the wrong thing. Some of us are smoking weed to have that little bit of peace. Some of us are opening our laptop late at night to get a little bit of control and satisfaction and fake intimacy. Some of us are looking for the relationships in our lives to give us perfect peace. Some of us are looking for peace apart from Christ and it's insufficient. Trust the sufficiency of Christ to give you peace. I beg you, nothing else will do. How do you get that peace for wonder? How do I receive that grace day in, day out? How do I get that peace day in, day out? Because Daniel, sometimes I don't have God kneeling in front of me like you do with your daughter. But here it is. This is how you can receive the peace of Christ. This is what you have to see. To get the peace, you have to know that Christ gave himself to you. He made the first step. He went to you. He knelt to us. He gave himself to you. And here's his, his agenda isn't that he gives himself to you so that you would vote for him. It's not his agenda. He didn't give himself to you so that you could uh, tap his ads and make him money. He didn't give himself to you so that he could manipulate you. Jesus Christ gave himself to you as a sacrifice for your sins so the burden of guilt and conscience could be wiped away. Jesus gave himself to you, telling you, no matter what you do, no matter what you say, I will love you. Will you receive it? Will you ask, Jesus, will you forgive me? He came to you, and he's waiting for you to ask him. 
And doesn't, I don't know about you guys, but I, I'm tired of being forgiven. You're like, what? Pastor John, get him out of here. I'm tired of being forgiven. I don't know if you feel this, but I got issues, especially in my marriage and how I treat people. And I'm tired of having to ask for forgiveness. I, I want to be healed. I don't want to have to wrestle with this flaw anymore. I want to be healed. Do you, who here wants to be healed? Who's, I want to be healed like the paralyzed man who's making excuses when Jesus asks him. And he says, do you want to be healed? And Jesus says, get up. I want to be healed. I don't want to have to get forgiveness anymore. And that's what Jesus does. He offers himself to you. And from that grace and peace, he delivers you. He delivers you. He rescues you. Trust the sufficiency of Christ's rescue. He's on a rescue mission. He's much more like the Coast Guard than he is the Marines. He wants to rescue you. He wants to deliver you from your sin. He wants to deliver you from your selfishness. He wants to heal you. Trust his rescue. And you might be thinking, Daniel, what do I need to be rescued from? Why am I, why am I so, why do I have this gravitational pull towards selfishness and sin? Well, that's because we live in two ages. In Galatians 1.4, talks about the two ages that we live in. And here's the nerd nugget for those of you who like to take notes. This is how the New Testament understands time. There's a present evil age ruled by Satan where selfishness reigns. And then there's the age to come that Christ brought in his first coming. So right now we live in the both and. The evil age still exists and the age to come is given to us, made accessible through Christ by faith. Heaven can come down on earth through you. And so we live in this both and right now. And John Stott would say that the Christian gospel is that you can be rescued from the evil age and live in the age to come. And I wonder if the greatest evangelism we could ever do is live like heaven on earth. I wonder if the greatest evangelism we could ever do is that people experience heavenly blessing when they're around us. Like somehow the atmosphere changes when you come into the room. The age to come becomes present and real. But you want to know what the age of this present evil age tries to do? What the agenda, what the goal of the present evil age? So let's think about who is the epitome of evil? Anyone know? Who comes to mind? Call it out. Hebron, call it out. Jail campus, call it out. Who you got? Satan? Now, who's the human that we associate with like the epitome of evil? Hitler. Here we go. Who, who was that? Is that right here? There we go. Hitler. Why is Hitler seen as the epitome of evil? Because he did in six and a half years what Genghis Khan took 30 years. He murdered millions upon millions. The present evil age has an agenda and it's called death. It's called death. It's why that that's why abortion grieves me so deeply because it is the propagation of death. And if you've gotten an abortion before, know that there is grace for you and there is resurrection life for that child. But know this, you fell for the evil age's agenda, which is death. And we do it to each other too. Every time we call each other a fool, we murder one another 
in our hearts and our souls. That's the agenda of this evil age. So think about the people who have authority that we trust on this earth. They literally call themselves the Supreme Court judges who have the power to sentence life and death. Think about doctors who at a tremor of their hand can bring life or death. So we exalt them in authority. Think about politicians who with a microphone can point millions of guns in one direction. We understand them to have authority and power in this age. You think about the gangs that were around me growing up, that they argued their guns were bigger than the other gang's guns so they could give us protection. It's the power to kill that's reigning on this evil age. But there is another age, another age. The age to come is the age of abundant life, like overflowing life, like the kind of life that says, I am so not afraid of this evil age that I'm willing to let them kill me on a cross and that when they think they've won, they've actually lost, amen? And Jesus, the most powerful story on earth says that I'm going to show them that the way I defeat this evil age is by defeating them with their own weapon. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that this world would no longer be condemned but rescued. He is sufficient. Christ is sufficient, abundant life. And you might be thinking, Daniel, I trust Jesus. I know him. I, you know, got baptized, but Daniel, I don't experience abundant life. I don't experience this overflow. Why? Why don't I experience this overflow? Why do I come in here stressed, anxious, frustrated, angry? Here's the strategy of this present evil age, and it's very subtle. The strategy of this present evil age is to remove Christ from the center. This is what the devil's trying to tell you. Hey, Jesus is important, but he's not sufficient for everything. Jesus is important. Do, do that on Sunday, but when you go to work, pull out a different ethic. Jesus is important. He's at the top of the shelf, but there are other shelves like your finances and the way you treat your spouse that, that you know, Jesus is important to, but not central. Friends, this is the strategy to get you off center, to get you off center. And just like a washing machine that loses its center, it becomes a clanging gong, good for nothing but destruction and annoyance. That's the strategy. And the reason we come back Sunday after Sunday is to be reminded to bring Christ back to the center that he is sufficient. And I am so bad at this sometimes that I have this phone that makes me feel like God. It makes me accessible to anyone, anytime. It enables me to see all the things all at once on my newsfeed. And I feel like God when I hold this thing. And then I forget. And I, and I realize in this moment that our phone have these features when I take pictures. And this is a picture into my life. You just take good, one good look at this quarter Filipino beauty over here and my son who's fighting her. Uh, they're just wonderful. So much of my world is in this picture, for better and for worse. Some of you are looking at this picture and saying, Daniel, what are you doing over here? Like, what's happening over there? Like, those are books that I bought that I haven't read. I know. 
Yeah, that New Year's resolution, I'm feeling the guilt right now, okay? Uh, I was gonna read like 12 books. There's like all of them right there, not being read. Uh, Some of you are like, Daniel, why aren't you folding your clothes? Like, what are you doing? That shirt, I am literally wearing it right now. And it's wrinkled. If I take this jacket off, it's over. It's, and look, more books. Like, what is happening? None of them are open. Some of you are getting really judgmental. And you're wondering, where are his sheets? What are they doing that they don't have sheets on right now? Okay? Thanks be to God. And um, so there's this thing that I could focus on all the chaos around me. And the one thing that this phone can do is it can cause everything else to darken and dim so that I can look in the face of the beauty and I can look in the face of what matters most. My daughter, Nora, I watch her on Thursdays, my phone out all the time. And she comes to me on a regular basis and she says, Daddy, Put your phone down. Look at my face, Daddy. Look at my face. Some of us need to put the phone down. Some of us need to look in the eyes of the ones we love that God has given us to carry his image. Some of us have been looking in the corners and in the chaos. Some of us have lost what matters and Christ is no longer the center. And I wonder if out of the mouth of my dear daughter, she's telling me the very words of Jesus, that maybe Jesus is kneeling and saying, Daniel, look at my face. Are you weary, O souls? O souls, are you troubled? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim. The things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, for he is sufficient for you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, there are many in this room who've made Christ important, but not the center. There are many in this room who are turning to their tools and their other things. And those are gonna let them down and you're gonna be there for them. And you're gonna appeal to their heart and soul that you're giving yourself to them that, to know that you are sufficient. Your face is enough. I could lose everything on this earth and still have the glory and the beauty of your face. And so God, I pray if there's anyone in this room who's made you important, but they're trusting in other things, that they would come back to you. 
they would come back to you as the center and that this would be their prayer. Christ is sufficient for my flaws. Christ is sufficient for my marriage. Christ is sufficient for my work. Christ is sufficient. And that we can turn our eyes upon him and his glory and grace will make this whole earth grow strangely dim that we might see his beauty and his grace. God, I thank you. Would we now sing like that is true? And would you lead us back to you? In Jesus' name and for his sake, we pray. Amen and amen.